is Camilla, and you're listening to the Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories, and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or, just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So, let's roll! Hello, my beautiful friends. This is Camilla and today I'm so excited! because I'm not even gonna, you know, leave a little bit of mystery about the topic. Well, actually, even when I leave a little bit of mystery, you know what I'm gonna talk about because it's literally the name of the episode. But I usually give a little bit of an introduction. But today, I just wanna tell you, today, I'll talk about the Everly Brothers. Literally one of my favorite artists of all time. And I'm so excited. Also because tonight, Yes, it's gonna be tonight by the time you're listening. I'm gonna go watch the Empire Theatre in Liverpool, where, by the way, the Beatles have played the musical about the Everly Brothers' life. Oh my God, I'm so excited. So I thought, well, I need to hype myself up and I need to tell everyone about their crazy and very, very interesting life. Also because many consider them the biggest inspiration of their career. Phil and Don Everly came from a family of coal miners in Kentucky. But as it often happened in the past, after the exhausting days down in the dark, the Everly family would find solace in music. Everyone in the family, even before Phil and Don were born, sung and played together and they were very good. But the brother's dad, Ike, became quite famous in the area for his thumb picking and playing styles that had been part of the family tradition for ages. He married his neighbor and singing partner, Margaret Embry, in 1935, and two years later, on the 1st of February, their first son was born, Isaac Donald Everly. During that period, Ike decided to leave the coal mines behind and start a career as a professional musician. That's when the family took the decision to move to Chicago, the vibrant home of the blues. In 1939, the family was blessed with a second child, Philip Everly. And while Ike was pursuing his dream, Don and Phil watched his every move and showed interest and natural skills for both guitar and singing in close harmony. Although they were both left-handed, their dad decided to teach them to play right-handed. Chicago, though, didn't seem like the best place to raise a family for the Everlees, so in the mid-40s, they decided to move to Shenandoah, Iowa. Ike's dream, though didn't change, and as soon as he moved, he started working on KMA Radio, where he would sing in the early hours of the morning, keeping company to the local farmers, and while he began on his own, the whole family soon started to tag along. So Phil and Don would wake up in the middle of the night to sing, still sleepy, on the local radio under the stage names Little Donny and Baby Boy Phil, and then they would rush to school, just like all the other kids. In 1953, the family moved again, both to be closer to their old home of Kentucky, but most of all to be closer to Nashville, the best place for aspiring musicians. The Everleys moved to Knoxville and auditioned for the Cass Walker Farm and Home Hour on WORL, a program that was initially made to promote Cass Walker's grocery store and ended up crowning Walker as one of the best and unconventional talent scouts around. The Everly family was obviously hired immediately and hear this, 
A few years later, Dolly Parton would become part of the radio crew as well. And back to the Everly family. Although the original act included the whole family, obviously, it didn't take long before it became more and more apparent that Phil and Don were the true stars. Margaret and Ike decided to leave the group and to make money to support the kids in the pursuit of their dream, they started working as hairdressers. During this period, Ike had a very interesting pen friend by the name of Chet Atkins. When the two arranged to meet in person for the first time, Atkins was absolutely amazed by the brothers' talent, especially Don's songwriting skills. So much so that he gave Don's Thou Shat Not Steal to singer Kitty Wells, the first female big star of country music. When the family received the first royalties paycheck, no one could believe it. $600! I mean, it would be amazing now. And imagine back then, it would be like receiving $6,700 today. Not bad for your first song, huh? During these exciting years, something more exciting was happening in music. Rock and roll, obviously. And the boys couldn't get enough of it. The style, the clothes, the rebellious soul. Yes, they started with blues and country, but that was their parents' music. Rock and roll was for them. And in 1955, Margaret took the boys in the most exciting place of the moment. Nashville. There, they tried to knock on every door, begged everyone to give them a chance. And then it happened, they got their first recording contract with Columbia. But that wasn't really a victory, yet. The contract said they had to record four songs, and to record said songs, they've been given the incredible amount of time of 20 minutes. Four songs in 20 minutes. I mean, of course, it's doable live if you're a very tight act. You can do it in the recording studio, but when you're recording, it's quite nerve-wracking, isn't it? Especially when it's your first record. Needless to say, it didn't go very well. But soon enough, the publisher and managing company, Acuff Rose, received an inquiry from a New York-based label, Cadence. They were looking for a country act. And of course, the Everly Brothers were obviously the right choice. So, with Chet Atkins in the booth, they decided to record a song that had been turned down over 30 times. Written by Boudlow and Felice Bryant, I'm talking about the beautiful Bye Bye Love. By the way, check out the episode Songwriting Couples That Made History. I released it on Valentine's Day because I'm such a romantic. And I talked about a lot of couples that chose songwriting as their career and Bootlow and Felice Bryant. Honestly, I have a soft spot for them, but their story is amazing. And they have been the very first professional songwriters in history. So go check out that episode and discover more about them. But back to the Everlies. Whilst the brothers didn't write the lyrics, their Bye Bye Love was a musical masterpiece, a witness to show a moment in time when country became rock and roll. The initial lick, completely different from the rest of the song, which was very unusual back then, had a very interesting rhythm pattern and is the brainchild of Don Everly, who literally came up with it during the recording sessions. A lick that made everyone listening to the radio stop and pay attention to a new chapter of music history, and that still to this day is absolutely unmistakable. 
The song was an instant hit, and since the record label sent it by mistake to both country radios and pop radios, it climbed the charts in both categories. But Lowe and Felice Bryant would go on to write over 20 songs for the brothers, including the follow-up to Bye Bye Love, Wake Up Little Susie, which might seem like a very innocent song today, but it was quite risque back in the 1950s, so much so that it got banned in Boston. Other amazing tunes they penned for them are, amongst others, All I Have To Do Is Dream, Bird Dog, Devoted To You, Problems and Let It Be Me, and many, many more. Their voices were just so perfect together, literally, these two were born to sing in harmony and they could read each other's minds basically and bear in mind that in that era if you got anything wrong while you were recording you had to start over again for example it took them 31 takes to perfect all i have to do is dream when the Bryans wrote for them, they would leave a blank space after each verse to let the brothers express their creativity on the guitar. Bill and Don were also writing their own songs, of course, such as Till I Kissed You. And at the end of the 50s, the Everly brothers were on a career high. That's when they decided to do something very sweet, but very, very bold. Release Songs Our Daddy Taught Us, an album of covers that the Everly family used to play together, which is so cute. Songs that certainly weren't the new exciting rock and roll records everyone expected from them, but that was a very heartfelt tribute to their family who supported them and transmitted their love for music to them. The years that followed were an exciting emotional roller coaster. They toured with Buddy Holly in 1957-58 and Holly apparently wrote Not Fade Away for them, but they turned it down to record All I Have To Do Is Dream. They were good friends with him and both brothers were absolutely devastated when Holly died in 1959. Don was so sad he couldn't even find the strength to go to the funeral and Phil went and sat with Holly's family. The two brothers, nonetheless, were now basically stars at that point. And that's how in 1960 they scored the biggest recording deal in music history up to that moment. A million dollar deal for 10 years offered by a company that was literally on its knees, Warner Records. Now, it sounds absolutely ridiculous to think that Warner, one of the giants of entertainment, was failing. But that was a very tough moment for them and they decided to try and sign their final artist, use all the money they had and decided to bet on the Everly Brothers. And obviously, as we know, that was a winning bet. And when Phil and Don signed with them, they also got access to the exclusive world of Warner Pictures and Hollywood. Life couldn't get any better. They moved to Hollywood, hang out with movie stars, and most importantly, they published the biggest hit, the self-written Kathy's Clown, which stayed at number one for five weeks. John Lennon said that that song had a massive impact on him and inspired him to write the vocal arrangement for Please Please Me. Their publisher, and manager Wesley Rose, who was still down in Nashville, wasn't really happy about the brothers' new deals and made it very hard for them to record new songs using their name or even have access to the Bryans' new material. That's also why in 1962 they recorded Crying in the Rain, penned by Carole King. A great song, but a little bit different from what they used to release. In 1961, also, they were both enlisted in the army and being away from the scenes at the peak of your career doesn't really help, does it? 
But I must say, one of the most iconic performances happened exactly during this period, when they showed up at the Ed Sullivan Show and performed two songs whilst wearing their US Marine Corps uniform. Oh, I love that. But unfortunately, those are also the years when their success started to decline. A new wave of artists was starting to rise up, inspired by their music. Between them, even the Beatles, Paul McCartney and John Lennon spent countless hours playing together impersonating the brothers. Paul was Phil and John was Don. And even if the Everleys kept releasing new music during the 60s, the sales weren't as good as they used to be. The private lives didn't seem to work very well either. Both brothers got caught up with amphetamine addiction, especially Dawn, and their marriages weren't doing really well. When they recovered, they continued to record music. They even recorded with the Hollies and published an album called Two Yanks in England in 1966, but decided to go back to their origins in 1968 with an album called Roots, made up of songs they used to sing in their family act and even excerpts of their old radio shows. After being on the road sharing a microphone for nearly 20 years though, the fairy tale came to an end. The brothers needed a break. But it happened in a very dramatic way. I mean, I guess that's what happens to people that become famous quite young and together. They have no idea what it feels like to be alone or even who they are as individuals or artists. And it was 1973 when they planned to perform together for the last time at Naughty Berry Farm. It didn't go well, to say the least. The tension was unbelievable on stage, so much so that Phil smashed his guitar and walked off. Don continued the show and the following night announced the Everly Brothers died 10 years ago. Now imagine being in the audience, like that would have broken my heart. It still breaks my heart today and I wasn't even born. Don decided to go back to Nashville and Phil stayed in California. They both recorded separately during the 70s, which is something that they had already done um, in the 60s. They had recorded solo works, sometimes under different pseudonyms. And I guess the recordings from the 70s are an interesting listen if you want to hear what they're capable of individually, but still. Their releases, although good, were never as successful as their career together. And they both obviously knew it. They just needed to be together again. And that's what happened in 1983. When after catching up at some mutual friend's house, they decided to start playing together again. Imagine you spent 10 years without playing together and it's been by this time nearly 20 years had their last hits but you still know that the world is just waiting for you to go back on stage i guess that's what being liam or noel gallagher feels like anyway phil and don Everly decided to play together again and there was no better place for their comeback concert than the royal albert hall and this was a very special place because that's where they had played with their father um, before his passing in the mid 70s and if you can believe this after the concert there was obviously an after party and guess where it was held at george harrison's house oh my god another beatles connection here for all of you Beatles fans, is that from the 80s onwards, um, Phil and Don went back to recording together and one of their late successes was On the Wings of a Nightingale, written by 
Paul McCartney. I mean, it must be so crazy that, well, for a Hollies, it must have been surreal as well. But imagine that you literally worship artists and then you get to write for them or you get to record with them or you even manage to meet them or hold an after party for them basically oh my god that must have been so cool phil and don Everly toured together until the early noughties 2004-2005 when they closed their career in the uk alongside simon and garfunkel as many of you already know phil and don are no longer with us um they died i think phil died in 2014 and Don died in 2021. It was very hard on Don, um, I think, seeing his younger brother die because you never think that you're gonna be alive when your younger brother dies because it's just unnatural. Although obviously um, it was only two years, the age difference, but um, he was very, very sad about it. And um, there are several interviews that are honestly tearjerkers um where he talks about the love he had for his brother and you know the thing is sometimes the press or it probably is even like a marketing move or something people tend to think that rivalries between brothers go on a lot even behind the scenes which is probably true um but we tend to forget that beyond the rivalry we have two people that literally spent their whole life together. And um, Phil and Don Everly might have had a lot of issues with each other. And it must have been very, very hard to actually, you know, work with the same person for a very long time, knowing that everybody wants to see you, but you don't feel like continuing. It must have been hard. And I'm very glad that in the later years, they actually managed to play together again. I was actually thinking, that it's quite amazing that their career, the peak of their career lasted just a few years. And still today, we're still talking about them. And uh, they influence so many artists and they still influence artists today because the fact that they have been famous in the 50s doesn't prevent them from being very influential to this day. And, um, I think it's just amazing that their style, their music is very unique. There's nothing like the Everly's, honestly. They managed to create a um, style that was a mixture of all the things that they experienced during their life. The country, the blues and the family traditions of singing and playing together. And I think that you can really hear it. But it's always very hard when you talk about someone that you admire so much. You always feel like you're not explaining yourself quite well or that maybe you're not you're missing a lot of important information <laughs> because they are so good and influential and unique that it's, it's just impossible to sum them up but i tried to do my best i really hope you enjoyed this episode and um I recommend um, listening to their music if you are an aspiring singer or if you love singing. Try to listen to their music and if you want to try and figure out harmonies, I think the Everly Brothers are the best artists to, to do that with um, because uh, they're very clear, 
the harmonies are very clear there's not a lot of reverb on their tracks um, like there is on the Beatles tracks sometimes it's very hard to actually um, figure out especially in the early recordings of the Beatles who is doing what um, and the Hollies are a very good band as well uh, but the Everly Brothers are have been you know I, I struggle with harmonies because I always end up singing the main uh, the main voice um, and the Everly Brothers have been my teachers honestly my you know absolute professors of harmonies and uh, try to give it a go try to do both parts they're the best teachers ever <laughs> well thank you very much for listening to this episode um, I really hope you will listen to a lot of Everly Brothers music today you'll be inspired by it I know I am already buzzing for the show tonight so I can't wait to watch it um, I might actually publish some stories or pu publish something about it because I know I'm going to be obsessed with it on my Instagram if you want to follow me there I am the Cat's Whisker podcast and you can also follow me on TikTok at the Cat's Whisker and I also release my podcast on YouTube in case you're listening from there hey but um, you can also subscribe to my channel which is the Cat's Whisker podcast uh, and um, it would be amazing if you could support me there as well so thank you again for listening I'll see you next time. Ciao!